Well, good morning again. Um, I would ask you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Daniel, chapter number 3. Daniel, chapter number 3. Um, in just a moment, I'm going to read the entirety of chapter 3 of, of Daniel. Um, it's, a very, it's a very familiar passage to uh, those of us that have been raised in the church, that have been a part of the church. Um, we won't find any uh, surprises as far as that particular passage of Scripture uh, because you've heard this particular story, which is a real-life story account uh, since you were young. Uh, since you were in Sunday school, uh, it's that, that account of the three Hebrew boys, young boys, about 20 years of age, uh, that were cast into the, as the text calls it, the burning fiery furnace. That sounds redundant, but it's expressive. <laughs> the burning fiery furnace. Um, it's fitting that we go here today. It's fitting, you say, why is it fitting? It's fitting that we go here today and are informed and encouraged with this account based on where we wound up in 1 John last week. If you remember, we concluded our study through the book of 1 John last week. Not saying we're, ever, we're done with the book of 1 John forever, just saying we're done with our verse-by-verse -verse journey through it. We ended up in chapter 5, verses 18, 19, and 20. And one of the phrases there that I zeroed in on was the fact that the whole world lies under the power of Satan, of the evil one. But we have God's protection in the midst of that. We talked about it. And of course, by world. And I will remind you by world, we're not talking about this terrestrial planet you put your feet on. Okay? The word cosmos doesn't necessarily refer to that. You understand what cosmos is referring to. That's the Greek word for world. You understand what it is based on its context. And so what, what we're talking about here is a system of thought, a way of thinking, a self-centered philosophy, a mindset. And Satan is the God of that mindset, of that world, so to speak. And as John said, the whole world, that whole mindset, that whole way of thinking that governs the entire lost, unregenerate world, Satan rules it. It lies under his power. We should be intimidated by that. I'll remind you as I did last week, and I'll remind you again today before we're done, I'm sure, because I'm going to remind you right now, in 1 John chapter 4, and verse 4, we are told that the world, it, we, that, that about the world, that greater is He who is in us, church, who is in us, born again, who is in us, Christian. Greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. And that He of chapter 4 is talking about that evil one, Satan, Lucifer, whom the whole world lies under his power. But greater is he that is in us. Wow. Well, in Daniel chapter 3, let me make a connection here. In Daniel chapter 3, we see that world system at work. 
We see it at work in what is going to take place in Daniel chapter 3. And we're reminded how God's people should respond to the world. We're reminded of how the world will relate and react and respond to God's people. We're reminded of the crisis that the world can create. It's a real life illustration, so to speak, of that phrase, you hear it all the time. This is not a Bible phrase, but we say it all the time. It's true, in the world, but not of the world. Okay? It's a real life illustration of that. It's a, it, it, is, it is John 17, 14 played out 550 years before Jesus ever said John 17, 14. You remember what he said in John 17, 14 when he was praying in the garden? He prayed this. He said, I've given them your word. Talking about his disciples. Talking about his followers. I've given them the world. The world has hated them because they're not of the world just as I am not of the world. And those three Hebrew boys were not of the world. And Daniel, who's not in this particular account, he, he also is not of the world. Wow. Well, we see the crisis the world causes the Christian in chapter number 3. We see the temptation for the Christian to compromise with the world here. But we see the confidence we should have in our Christ as He'll bring us through what He's going to bring us through in Daniel chapter 3. And we need not bow to the mindset and the way and the thinking of this world system. Never bow. Never bend. We don't want to do that and we shall not do that. So, let's read together. Daniel chapter number 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, and magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, and the treasurers, and the justices, and the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship immediately, shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, 
all the people's nations, languages, fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach. Meshach and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, you, now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said oh, to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The king Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace be heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. And these men were bound in their cloaks and their tunics and their hats and their other garments. And they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the, fury, and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire. They're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like King James says, son of God. Most translations say, a son of the gods. I'll talk about that here in a minute. 
The Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps and prefects and governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over their bodies, uh, the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire came upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship God except their own God. Therefore I make a decree any people, nation, language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn from limb to limb and their houses shall be laid in ruins for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is the word of the Lord. Now, places like this are a challenge for someone like me. I deal with passages um, exegetically and expositionally and like to go verse by verse and Old Testament narratives just don't allow for that. Comfortably allow for that. But I will do my best by the grace of God to show you some things in this passage that are just astounding and a reminder of how we are in the world but not of this world. And we need not fear what the world or the devil throws at us. You hear me, church? We need not fear. Now let me kind of bring you up to speed with context here. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these were young boys. Again, I tell you, they were around probably 20 years of age when they make this awesome, uncompromising, confident stand by the grace of God. Here in Babylon, um, which is quite astounding and quite amazing if you think about it. Um, It is an awesome truth. Uh, They had been, of course, they, they along with Daniel, Daniel's not mentioned in this account because Daniel is just, Daniel was not bowing to the image, but the focus is on these three Hebrew boys right now. But they, along with Daniel, were taken and they were put in the position where they would serve King Nebuchadnezzar, which is pretty astounding within itself. Um, And these Hebrew people, the culture around them, understand, had done everything they could to change their mindset. The world system of that culture had done everything it could to try and own these Hebrews. They were immersed in a completely 
pagan, polytheistic culture with demon gods worship being the center of everything. They had done everything they could to try and change these men. They tried to change their diet, tried to get them to where they would not eat according to the dietary laws for the, for the Jewish people. They, they wanted to, to, to them to indulge in the rich diet of the Babylonians. And if you remember on one occasion, I believe it was back over in chapter 2, where uh, Daniel um, made this deal with, with the king that let them just eat vegetables for 10 days. And they found out after they ate just vegetables for 10 days, they were far more healthier than the Babylonians. You know, Um, but uh, everything was working against God's people, specifically these four, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, trying to assimilate them into that culture, trying to to make them a part of this world system. Um, Everything they could, they even, listen, they even changed their names. You realize they were really not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were Babylonian names given to them. You go back over to chapter 1, you find out that um, they, they changed their name. For example, uh, Shadrach was Hananiah. Okay, Hananiah was, his name means God is gracious. They changed it to Shadrach, which means illuminated by the sun god. Um, Meshach, his, na- his name, real name was Mishael, which means who is like God. And they changed it, of course, to Meshach, which means who is like Venus. <laughs> they had, uh, uh, they, they took um, Abednego and changed his name. Abednego means the name worshiper of Nigo or Nebo. Um, which was a Babylonian god, uh, the god of wisdom in, in Babylonian paganistic uh, theology. But his name was originally Azariah, which means the Lord is my helper. They had done it. They tried to change externally their names, but they could do all kinds of external things to these people. But it could not change who they were internally. Do you understand that? Okay, I don't care where you find yourself at. I don't care what kind of government you find yourself under. Outside forces cannot change the internal reality of who you are. Doesn't matter what a legislature passes. It doesn't matter what the government says. You are who you are and you will not be other than who you are, Christian. You hear me? Now, Daniel, whom I didn't mention... Daniel's name means God is my judge. And they, they, if you remember from reading through the book of Daniel, they changed the name of Daniel to uh, Belshazzar, which means Baal is my judge. Baal being the names of one of the Babylonian gods. And so they did these kinds of things and they failed at every point. But yet God's... Even though they were not bending to the culture around them, at this point in Daniel chapter 1 2, they were still elevated to a place of authority. <laughs> I mean, here you got Daniel. This really came to head. Daniel was interpreting dreams, and they found out that these three Hebrew boys could offer more wisdom than, the, than all the men of wisdom of Babylon. And here they are, put in places of authority, and and here they're about to be put in a situation where they could have thought in their mind, in their flesh, well now, if I want to keep this good position I've got, I need to kind of 
you know, go along with the flow of what's happening in the culture right now. But they did not. They did not do that. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew their God. And in knowing their God, they could not be changed by the culture. Now, if they were just... You know, the Bible talks about in Romans how everybody, everybody of Abraham is not of the seed of Abraham. If they were um, Jews in name only, then the world will sweep them away in a flood. It's one of the reasons why you see so many in the church that are raised in the church, they are, they are, they're brought into the church, they're baptized in the church, and then they are swept away. Never to return. Dominated by the world system. They never had any root in them. They were never engrafted in the vine. They never were placed on the rock of Christ Jesus. They never were born of God. Because those that have the seed of God within them, when the world system does seek and enters in, and it does, and it does affect our mindset, and we do become worldly at times, but we cannot rest or be at ease. It will make us sick. These three Hebrews were faithful and uncompromising. They stood on biblical principles. They stood. And how I pray this culture and religious climate in America in which we live in, that we have lived in for years, this pluralistic mindset that we live in, that we would not bow to it. We do not bow to this world system. The one that the evil one's in charge of. The one that lies under the power of the evil one. We do not. Now, At lightning speed, let me draw your attention to some things in this account. We see in the opening of chapter 3, we see the world system at work. We see it at work when... (laughs) when Nebuchadnezzar decides to create this golden image, this is probably about 90 feet tall, probably about 9 feet wide. That's what the equivalent roughly is, if I'm not wrong, um, of 60 cubits by, by 6 cubits. And put this, this huge image, it could be seen from miles around, in the... The Valley of Dura and, and, and could be seen for miles around. And I believe that in, in Nebuchadnezzar's mindset, it wasn't just about, oh, worship me. I really think in his twisted mindset at this point, because Nebuchadnezzar is unregenerate at this point, I believe that Nebuchadnezzar comes to know God through a miraculous work of grace by coming to the end of himself, perhaps. 
But at this point, he does not. He knows in name who the God of the Jews is. He knows who the Most High God is, but he does not have a relationship. I cannot see in any way that he has a relationship with God. Obviously, he doesn't when he's making an image at this point. What I mean by say, what I say, I don't see that he could. Even he acknowledges the reality of this God by the end of this chapter, still not saying that he has a relationship with God yet. But here he's creating this golden image. What I think Nebuchadnezzar was thinking, I think his, 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 the push behind him was trying to bring unity to his people. This would be something they could rally around. This would be something they could gather around. And in his mind, he's thinking, so we have these Jews that worship Yahweh. So we have these Jews that worship a God whom they call the Most High God. Well, what's the big deal? They can worship their God, but they can bow to this as well. And we'll have this in common. That's the mindset of the world. That is the way the world thinks. Because you see, you, you can't have allegiance to some golden image or some false god. And to God, you cannot serve two masters. Said Jesus, you'll either love one or hate the other. You cannot compromise a relationship with the Almighty. It is problematic. To say the least. You can't do that. But yet, Nebuchadnezzar probably thought there was no problem in doing this. We see this system at work, but what this, this world system is always trying to do, because you see the world system is under the spirit of Antichrist. It was under the spirit of Antichrist since the fall of man. Until the ultimate culmination and the personification of the person called Antichrist. But the spirit of Antichrist has always been at work in the world. Matter of fact, what you see in chapter 3 opening up is a foreshadowing of Revelation chapter 13 where the beast comes into being. Here... The system of the world is trying to draw, always draw your eyes away from Christ. But if they cannot completely draw your eyes away from Christ, they want you to just, you know, have Christ on the same level playing field as every other religious deity that is concocted in the minds of men. And that is wrong. Notice that it is no accident, I believe, that in order to try and draw everybody together on the same page with the worship of this golden image, that when the time came to fall down and worship the image, Nebuchadnezzar employed music. Music has always... Listen, music is a gift from God. But Satan perverts everything that God gives. And music has always been, especially the more chaotic the, 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 the composition of the music is, has always been associated with paganistic religions. But you see, music impacts and affects you. It does. You think about the lyrics of a lot of popular songs that you hear today 
The godless message that they send. And you hear people, oh, I'll just listen to the beat. I like the beat too, maybe. But when you mindlessly absorb what is being communicated in a message of music, it affects the psyche. You have to think critically about what you're hearing. Think. Stop. Don't be a bunch of mindless Christians. Think about what you're processing. Think about the message being conveyed. Music is a powerful influencer. And Nebuchadnezzar, I believe, employed that here as we read here in his attempts to indoctrinate the people. But in the midst of all this, there were those that rebelled against it. I'll call them rebels of faith. They're not rebels in the sense of rebellion against that which is right. They just are rebels in the sense they didn't go along with everybody else. And that would be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see, they had something that a lot of people don't seem to have these days. They had conviction. You hear me? I understand what I mean by conviction. I mean, you saw a lot of people can be convinced of certain things but I, or, or, or believe certain things are true. But I mean, they had conviction on it. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about conviction about who God is. I'm talking about conviction of the reality of who God is. And they did not compromise those. You don't compromise a conviction. Or it was never a conviction. Do you hear me? You do not compromise a conviction or it was never a conviction. And they had a conviction that they would not compromise here. They rejected the temptation to compromise here. I mean, you think about it. They could have, I mean, if they if they'd coasted along by the way the flesh teaches it, they probably thought, you know, it's okay. We'll worship God, but we'll do this little thing to please the king, and we can keep our positions in the government, and we'll be a-okay. That's how a lot of people would think. That's how a politician would think. But they did not. They did not. And they were not wrong in disobeying the king. Do you hear me? Now, Romans 13 teaches us that God puts people in places of authority and we are to be submissive to the governing authorities. It teaches that. And I would tell you that that is true because God is sovereign. That means God has put everybody from somebody as wonderful as Ronald Reagan, and in my book, he's wonderful, <laughs> all the way to Adolf Hitler in office for his purposes. Sometimes judgment, sometimes his purposes are good. But we are to submit to the governing authorities to a, accept there is a, a condition. Jesus said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but unto God what is God's. And Peter said in in, in, in Acts chapter 5, in about verse 24, he said, we will obey God rather than man. So here's the key. Here's the thing. Whenever the governing authorities put you in a position to compromise your Judeo-Christian ethic, you do not bow to that. You do not bow to that. If the government one day mandated, for example... 
Like they do in other countries. If they one day mandated that, you know, you, you, we've got such a population problem, what, you can't have more than three children. If you have a fourth one, it's got, you get, this is just an extreme example. Okay? But let's say, because this happens in other countries, that if you have another, it's going to be aborted. You do not bow to that. Do you hear me? You don't bow to that. In less extreme things, I am concerned for the church in the day, in the in, in the years and decades to come, because we're becoming so hyper pluralistic to where we want to embrace everything except Christianity. And the only kind of Christianity our, a lot of our leaders will embrace is a lip service to it. They wouldn't know God if He came down and sat in front of them. you got whole political parties in my book that fit in that place. Now, these rebels reject the compromise. What do they do? What do they do? They don't know what's going to happen. Here they've got this thing called the burning fiery furnace. The burning... Do you realize how that's an odd way of saying things? Why would, if it's a fiery furnace, of course it's burning. But over and over again, it's called the burning fiery furnace. I think that is called that to just emphasize with great terror. You're going to burn up if you don't do this. All they need... Here they have the burning fire. They didn't know for sure what would happen... What they did is what every believer should do is when we're putting places and, and we're forced with things like this, we submit ourselves to the will of God. What did they say to Nebuchadnezzar? What did they say? Was they, they, Nebuchadnezzar, what he did now is he gave him one more chance. He said, we're going to play a little music and you can bow and worship. You do it. We'll forget about this, guys. I mean, I really like you guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You, you, you've told me some good stuff. Come on, let's, let's kind of get, get, get beyond this. Let me play. I'll give you one more chance. What did the Hebrew boys say? They said this in response. They said, well, if... If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But if not, be it known to you, O King, we will never, we will not serve your gods or worship it, the golden image that you have set up. You know why they could say that? You know why they weren't afraid? They had a deep and settled conviction about who their God was. In the New Testament, we see with greater light, put in that position, post-cross, we ought to be able to say, well, that's fine, Nebuchadnezzar. That's fine. Let it be so for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. <laughs> and we must be like that. We must be like that. And so they submitted to the will of God, but I also believe with conviction they trusted God, obviously in this. I, and I think 
you know, maybe they were holding on. Maybe they knew truths like Isaiah 40, chapter 43. Though they walk through the fire, they will not be burned. But what... Nevertheless, it doesn't matter. They were trusting in God. They were submissive to God. They weren't telling God what to do. They were submitting to God and His will. Now, interwoven in all of this, notice how the world is relating to these Hebrew boys. He relate, the world relates with rage. It relates with rage. You see that with, first of all, you see that when the charge is brought before them. You remember these Chaldeans? I mean, nobody knew that these Hebrew boys weren't doing this, but the Chal- these Chaldeans saw that they weren't, do- weren't following the command of Nebuchadnezzar, and so they, they decided they're going to go to the king. And they, the boy, they, they, they stroked the king's feathers. Oh, king. Oh, great king who has given us this great command. You know, let me tell you about these boys. They were jealous. They were envious of those three Hebrew boys because here we've got, here you've got these native of the land and they don't have places of position and power and authority. But you've got these foreigners that were brought in and all of a sudden they've been put up in places of position and authority. And I believe they were a little jealous and probably thought, here's our chance to conspire through corruption and get rid of them. That goes on everywhere. It's going on right under your noses, people. Now, here we have them with this charge. You know, the word in there, it says they were charged, they were accused. That's not... Typically, you think of that English term in a legal sense of the word. The Hebrew term is not a legal term. It, it literally means that they, 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 they want them to devour them to pieces. It's almost cannibalistic. Their urge, their rage. These guys were mad at these guys. They were not following the world system. And the world system was pushing them to promote them on sale, their own selves. And then Nebuchadnezzar, who is dominated by the world system that lies under the power of the evil one, he was full of rage that somebody would dare to not obey the command that he sent. So he said, summon them unto me. Well, he comes before them. They come before him, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We've already addressed kind of the conversation that they had. And the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar's countenance changed toward them, and he was full of rage. Full of rage. He was not thinking rationally at all at this point. Because if he really, if he really wanted to hurt them, Making the furnace hotter wasn't what he should have done. He should have lowered it a little bit so they would linger and suffer. But you see, he's full of rage right now. Because the world, listen why there's such rage. The world is full of hatred and rage toward you, Christian, and toward the Christ because of the Christ that is in you. You will never be loved by the world. You will never be loved by the lost, unregenerate world when the mask is taken off of their face. You will be hated because of Christ. 
And where you speak truth, you will be hated all the more. If you'll just stay quiet. Don't make waves. Just make compromise. Just stay quiet. That's what the world would like for you to do. But when you clue into the fact that greater is He who is in you than he that is in the world, how shall we be silent? How shall we be quiet? For, for the lion has roared within. How shall we be quiet? The lion of the tribe of Judah is within us. Who can but prophesy? Says the Old Testament text. So we fire this thing up seven times hotter. Having them bound all up with ropes and stuff and the flames consume the unregenerate guards as they toss them in. But then, oh my, verses 24 through 27, we see the protection of God. Nebuchadnezzar He's thinking, gosh, what drug am I on? What, there, did, did we not did we not put three, three men in this fiery furnace? Why, yes, O king, we did. It is true. But I see four unbound, unburned, walking around. <laughs> and the fourth one, Looks like a son of the gods. Now I told you I'd mention that. You say, why do some translations put the son of the gods and some put the son of God? Well, to be honest with you, the right and correct Hebrew translation would be to say like one of the son of the gods. And don't let that bother you because, here's why, Nebuchadnezzar speaking from a pagan mindset. All he knows is polytheism. All he knows is many gods. Later on when he says the angel of the Lord was there, the reason why he calls him an angel, he does, he's speaking from his mindset. This is from his perspective when you see those words. Don't let that tremble you because the one that was like the Son of God was the Son of God. Amen. What you see, let me tell you who is right there in the fire with them. Let me tell you who will be right there in the fire when you find your feet in it. May not be a literal burning fiery furnace, but I tell you, it's going to get hotter for the church in America. But let me tell you what you will find. You will find that you're not alone. That He has not left you, nor has He forsaken you. And you'll find that there's someone else with you. You'll find His name is Jesus Christ. You see, in that fiery furnace before the incarnation of Christ, we have a theophany, as theologians like to call it. We have an instance of the pre-incarnate Christ who is God, eternal, end of 1 John chapter 5 told us that. You can rip that out of 1 John 5 if you want to, but I'm telling you, He's God. Now, Christ is with them. Christ is with them. Christ is with them. And he orders them to come out, and so they come out of the burning, fiery furnace. 
The thing's just about tore up anyway. It's done overheated. Probably clanking. <laughs> Here they come. Out. Wow. That was God's will. In that moment. And it was God's will in that moment that they go into that fiery furnace. Because God had to accomplish great things as a result of this. You see, the world intends harm, but God intends good. You read down through verses 28 through 30, and you learn some things. God glorifying things that happened as a result of the uncompromising Hebrew boys going into that fiery furnace. Let me tell you something. When you find yourself in a fiery furnace, here's some of the good that comes out of it. It's Satan intends it for your harm. But God, He intends it for your good. Those, those Hebrew boys, remember they went in, what, they, were, they were bound. But when they came out, they weren't. I want you to understand that that fiery furnace has a refining purpose in our lives. And I tell you, as lackadaisical as the American church is, we need some fire to burn some stuff. Some, we've got, listen, we're bound with some stuff that we need burn up. We need to have, and I'm telling you, we need to have the compromisers increasingly separated from the, un, from the uncompromised Christian to where there will be such a brilliant difference between wheat and tear in the church. You'll know who's lost and who's saved on your church roll. But listen, it, it has a refining effect. You know what Paul wrote in Romans chapter number 5? In Romans chapter number 5, Paul said this about suffering. Because let me tell you something. When you're in the fiery furnace, there is a level of suffering. Therefore, Paul says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only this, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Wait a minute, has Paul lost his mind? No, listen, why are we going to rejoice in our sufferings? He goes on, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. Hallelujah. <laughs> you see, Christian, all the hard stuff you go through and are going to go through and the fires that are yet to come upon the American church, I tell you, they're refining. Listen to me. All things work to the good of those that love Him and have been called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. And the fire just refines you to look more like the gold of our Lord Jesus. Christ. Now, notice there was more good. They had more favor. I mean, they were already in high positions, but they were given more authority. 
If you read in those latter verses, verses 28 through 30, and ultimately, because all of these people witnessed this event, God would bring salvations to others. And I believe one of those would be King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, wow. Church, I pray that we would be marked by an uncompromising conviction in our God. I pray that we would be marked like that. I pray that in this world, no compromise would take our eyes off of Christ. That we would not be tempted to compromise No matter if we're faced with being fired or being tossed in jail, we would not be compromising. But we would trust in our God, in the God, and we trust in the gospel, and we trust in the truth, and we would never, never back away from our Judeo Christian heritage and ethic. And I warn. Anyone listening in here and anyone that hears this by YouTube, stop taking the blinder, putting the blinders on when it comes to everything else in the world. And you ignore your Judeo-Christian heritage as if that's only something for church time. Don't you do that. A biblical worldview should permeate permeate. Everything in your life, every decision you make, every vote you cast, every business you align yourself with, the way you spend your money, everything, it should affect it. What you do. If it doesn't, I ask you, is your biblical worldview a conviction or just some fantasy? Because we have a nation full of fantasy lovers. Now, I would close with a story about Athanasius. Do you remember the story of Athanasius? Any of you that have ever studied the history of church doctrine know who I'm talking about because he was the one that came up against um, a guy by the name of Arius. Arius was promoting in the early church this, this thing known as the Arian heresy. The, what the Arian heresy was, it was saying that Jesus Christ, it denied the full deity of Jesus Christ is what, what the basic problem was. And Athanasius faced all kinds of turmoil. He faced all kinds of problems. He went through like five different exiles, if I'm not mistaken. And he was, finally, he was summoned to come before the emperor Theodosius. And Theodosius told him, Stop teaching this stuff! Stop! Going against the Arians. He said, do you not realize 
Athanasius, you're standing against the whole world. To which Athanasius replied, Then against the whole world will I stand. I remind you again. 1 John 4, verse 4. Greater. Greater is He that is in me, that is in you. True Christian. Truly regenerate. Born again. Not somebody that prayed some prayer because they're afraid of hell. Not somebody that joined the church to just ease their conscience. But I'm talking about those of you that have been invaded by the sovereign Spirit of God and Christ alone is your only hope. To you, I remind you, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Though the whole world lies under his power, this world system will die. And hold on, little church, little children. It's, hold on, don't give up on your hope. Hold on. Because you see, yes, as Paul wrote the Romans, he said, the God of peace the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And if I didn't think I'd scare you, I'd break out in a dance. Listen, I really am closing. I can be like Paul. He said, I'm closing two or three times. I would remind you that you will never become a person of uncompromising faith. You will never become a person like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego if you're trying to do it in your own power. You must be born again. Turn to the living Christ. Look to the living Christ. Repent of your self-will. Repent of your self-effort. Repent of your religiosity. Repent, 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 and so be saved. Let's pray. I'm going to ask Angie if she would come and she can play a hymn of response. You don't have to, uh, um, Brother Kimbrew, you don't have to, to come up here unless you just want to. I've washed it full of spit. I'm going to ask every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. You respond. The Spirit of God is leading you to respond. You respond. You respond. And if you need me, or you want to pray or talk about anything, just lift your hand up and, and we'll connect. Okay? All right. With every head bowed and every eye closed, this Angie plays. You can stand to your feet as well.